you know this building, this room was built to not be mic'd. And so the room echoes in a lovely way. Uh, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor John Jay. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit this morning about anchors. Um, if you're joining us for the first time in a little bit, then we are in the middle of four sets of sermons on the basics of what it means to be part of a community of faith, specifically this community of faith. And today we're going to talk about, about giving. Y'all ready? We're going to pray first and then we're going to get into it. Uh, join me as we pray together. God, I pray for my friends here, uh, for those who are not with us today, but are with us in spirit. Unite our hearts and our intentions, our minds, our desires this morning, that we might carry one another along into your presence. Guide my speech as I share with these friends uh, what you've shared with me. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so this morning we're going to talk about giving. We've been talking for the last two weeks, this is the third out of four, about practices of our life together. Four of them, specifically. We could do more than four. There was ten commandments. We could have ten practices of our life together. But let's just start with four and see if we can sort of hold on to those. So the first one was, do you, do you remember? We could just do this like quiz style. Somebody, what was the first thing we talked about? Don't, don't break my heart. Worship? Worship was the first gathering corporately together last week was friendship. So the way that we talk about friendship here is, um, I mean, there are all kinds of dimensions that one could be like apprenticeships or mentorships or um, the one to one that you'll have over coffee. But often it could also be something like a small group or like a reading group, but a, a group of people or maybe one other person who really knows you and you let yourself be seen, uh, be vulnerable. OK, so that's second. this week is giving. And then next week, we're going to talk about, about serving one another and serving the world. So this week's giving, and we're going to talk about it uh, from, do you want to guess where we're going today? The Exodus, right? You heard the reading? Let's say where we are and why we're there. One day I'm going to do a set of sermons on the tabernacle, partly because I just never heard sermons on the tabernacle, and I like to preach on things I've never heard before, because normally it means you've never heard a sermon on that before, and it means you have a less likelihood of fact-checking me. <laughs> so, uh, the second half of the book of Exodus is about the tabernacle. Side note, when I was in school, uh, in divinity school, my Old Testament professor went to go see the movie The Prince of Egypt. Do you remember the movie The Prince of Egypt? It was an animated movie, and it was really good. Confession. I really liked The Prince of Egypt. They did a great job with it. However, it is supposed to be about the book of Exodus. And so the, the movie goes dark at the end, and my professor, Dr. Davis, is sitting there with some, some students of hers, and she looks around, and she says, is, this, is it intermission? Like, do they do intermissions at movies now? Because it stops right when they get into the wilderness. And that is not where the book of Exodus stops. There's like half of the book of Exodus that I don't remember reading much of. It's where our reading came from today. It starts around the middle 20 chapters, and it goes all the way to the end uh, 20 chapters later. So this is what the second half of the book of Exodus looks like. You have 
the instructions on the left side for building the Mishkan or the tabernacle. The tabernacle is this portable sanctuary tent structure that the people are commanded to build. So you get like a recipe. If this were a cookbook, this would be the recipe portion of the book. And then you have this middle break section. Do you remember what happens in the middle break? It's like 32, 33. Yeah, well, Mount Sinai is in the 20s. In the mid-30s is the golden calf. Yeah, so you've got this like really clean narrative of here are the recipes you need to make a really good tabernacle stew, right? And then the next thing would be to cook the thing, to make the thing. But you have this this interruption. By the way, this interruption will follow the people for the rest of their history. It keeps getting referred back to over and over again in their history. You get this break, and then you have the construction of the thing. About matches the instructions, and then the indwelling. That's why Dr. Davis was so frustrated when the movie ended, because the, the story actually ends with the Shekinah of God resting in the Mishkan. Shekinah, Mishkan comes from the same word, Shekan, which means to dwell or to neighbor with, which should sound a lot like John 1. And the word became flesh and mishkaned among us and tabernacled among us and moved into the neighborhood, however you would want to remember that. So that's the layout. Right before this is Sinai. Right before all of this is the Ten Commandments, is the law that's given. A little bit before that is the release from captivity when Moses and God free the people and they walk through the sea. And you keep going backwards from here. Okay, here's what we want to talk about today. Two kinds of building projects. And these two have a lot to do with one another, and one seems to be an answer to the other one. So the first building project is this golden calf that shows up in Exodus 32. So in Exodus 32, there's this moment where Moses keeps heading up the mountain to see God, to talk to God at the top of the mountain where there's smoke and there's thunder and then there's lightning. And at some point, Moses is gone for just too long. I don't know about you, but when we, we've talked about this before, and then someone in here fussed at me for talking about it. But when we leave our kids at home unsupervised, uh, there is a certain time limit where things are going to go fine. But outside of that time limit, things can go a little squirrely. I'm looking at the Barry family here and knowing Aaron. Well, like, did y'all do this kind of thing? Or did you get left at home? How long did it take before you're like, something in this house could easily catch fire if I just tried hard enough? An hour and 30, right? So Moses is on the mountain for an hour and 35, right? That's, that's what happens. He's up there for like 40 days. And so if you open your Bible to Exodus 32, let me just read you a little portion of it. The people saw that Moses had delayed to come down from the mountain. The people gathered around Aaron and said to him, by the way, gathering around can be a good or a quite dangerous thing depending on what's happening. Gathered around Aaron and said to him, come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. We do not know when the parent is coming home. Aaron said to them, rip off the gold rings that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. 
So all the people took off their gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Aaron took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, cast an image of a calf, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so they have this festival, they have this party, they, ri- they rise early in the morning and they dance and they sit and they feast and they laugh and sort of make fools of themselves. That is the story of the golden calf. Now there are all of these words inside of Exodus 32 that tell us what's actually happening here. One of them is the word asah, which means to make or to create. It's the same language from the early chapters in Genesis, the way that God creates the world. They are about a creation project. It's just the wrong kind. And it arises not out of a place of gratitude or out of hope, but out of anxiety. They give. They are quite generous to this project. It's just toward different ends. This is the word for what they do to the gold that's with them is they, they tear it apart from themselves. They like rip it off and they throw it. It is it's this really angsty, haphazard way of be like if you just wadded up a hundred dollars and threw it at me and you're like here's my tithe that would be a weird thing to do if i stand here long enough let's see if somebody does it no no the other word is this word to form zur it's the same language as what god does in the garden with the dirt and the dust and the clay and forms the human being in the likeness and image of god here or God's creatures forming to create something new. The gold itself, side note, where did they get it? Right? They were slaves. Do you remember when they get, when they are released, when they're heading out from Egypt, there's this strange thing that happens where they basically plunder the land of all of this gold and all of these riches and take it with them into the wilderness. I'm not sure what they thought they were going to do with it, but it's this little bit of foreshadowing from the writer of the book of Exodus that here, you're going to need this later. But these gifts carry with them immense risk of misuse. Do y'all have one of these? Just like put your hand on it if you have it. Maybe even take it out and look at it. Remember what it means to you. If it's a source of comfort or a source of anxiety. I have uh, a napkin, <laughs> receipt, and a blank check. That doesn't. That, you shouldn't carry a blank check with you. It's not signed, so don't worry about it. That's all I have in mind. Uh, it's like little bitty tokens from Egypt. That they take with them. And they've got to figure out what to do with them. When uh, Roman soldiers were converting to Christianity in the early days of the Jesus movement, uh, they had this conflict about what they would do when they were baptized. And so the story goes that when they would go into the water to be baptized and be made new, that they would, uh, they would go in, but they would hold their swords out of the water so that they could still like use them for purposes that weren't quite Jesus. And I remember one time sitting through a sermon and the pastor said like that, a lot of times that's what we do, right? We like hold this up while we go under the water because this is like, we may not want this thing to get baptized. Um, they've got all this gold, so haphazardly they toss it. And what they do is they take their gifts and they try to make a God with them. And it's not exactly like they're even trying to make a new God. It says that they throw a festival to Yahweh. 
there is some kind of connection with the God that they know and experience, but they've been experiencing this God as absent. And then this God's representative, Moses, is absent. And in that absence, they get, they freak out. It's an hour and 35 minutes later and nobody's home. And so they've got to figure out what to do. And so this is what happens. They try to make something that they can hold on to. And in the process, they make themselves foolish and they make themselves small. Now there's another building project that happens right after this. Story goes that God sees, because God knows, like, oh no, this is bad. Look what they've done. Moses, I'm quite upset. So upset, I'm probably going to kill him. Very confusing. Moses says, you probably shouldn't do that, because if you do, everyone's going to hear about it, and they're going to say, there's this new God on the loose who takes people, saves them, just so that they can be killed in the desert. Don't do that, God. And so God... And Moses have this conversation, and somehow Moses works out their own saving. But a lot of them die because these things have consequences. Moses goes down, has the tablets, throws them, they break. He sees the calf, grabs it, and grinds it up. I don't know what he grinds it up with. I didn't know that was a thing that they could do. But he grinds it up. He burns it, and then grinds it up. And then what does he do with it? And he makes powder and puts it in the water. He puts it in the water and makes him drink it. But I don't think this is a good thing, no. right? I've been watching the baking show, Cindy and I were talking about it, and they keep putting gold leaf on things. That's not like this. <laughs> they, dr- they have to drink their own consequences. It's awful. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, uh, and there is this sort of moment of, of forgiveness and of setting right. And Moses and God have a problem. Which is that God has been dwelling way up there. And only Moses has been able to get to God. So Moses pitches his tent outside the camp. Which it seems like the wrong answer to the anxiety of absence. That Moses moves further away. But part of what Moses is doing is making space for God to actually move into the camp. The people need to feel like God is present and in their midst. So they start a different building project. They've already gotten instructions for it called the Mishkan or the Tabernacle. And what they do is they take their gifts and they make space for God with them. They're not trying to recreate God writ small. What they're actually trying to do is create a spaciousness such that God might be able to inhabit and indwell, to move into the neighborhood. And so they start this tabernacle project. Now I need to say a couple of words about what the tabernacle is. It's this portable tent. But if you go and you read through these chapters in the book of Exodus, the tabernacle is actually a recreation of Eden. Do you remember Eden, the garden, the first garden? The place where all it's supposed to be like God intended it? Eden is what they're really craving, what they have been yearning for. And the tabernacle is a way to rebuild a small Eden in the midst of the wild places. A space where God's will might be done. So you go from Eden to the Mishkan or the tabernacle, 
which is this portable tent. And then a while later in their history, they get to build a permanent home for God, the temple. In Jerusalem, in the holy city, up high on a mountain. There is a problem here, which is that God does not actually live inside buildings. The poets and the prophets, they say, like, you can build all the houses you want, but God does not dwell in houses made of stone. The whole earth is God's inhabitants. But we need to feel and to experience that God might be intimately present. So the tabernacle is our answer, is our anecdote to God's absence. So if you turn with me to Exodus 35. Moses says to all the congregation of the Israelites, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Let whoever is of generous heart bring the Lord's offering. Then he lists gold, silver, bronze, purple, blue, crimson yarns, fine linens, goat's hair, tanned ram skins. I'm just imagining if we pass the offering plate and it came back full of goat's hair, if I would feel like that was a successful Sunday offering. I mean, if you need goat's hair. Tanned ram skin, fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, gems to be set. Those who are wise and skilled in heart among you, come and take all the Lord has commanded and make with it. Then all the congregation withdrew from the presence of Moses and they all came, everyone whose heart was willing or stirred, everyone whose spirit was willing and brought the Lord's offering to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the sacred vestments. This is a people who just yesterday were slaves. And in this condition, they didn't have a lot that they could give. That's kind of the deal. If there's a sort of hierarchy of society, you've got Pharaoh at the top. And it's quite a while before you get to those who are enslaved by the powers of the nation state. And so this invitation to participate in the home building of God is like... It's a stretch of the imagination. But there's this word that shows up, this couple of words. Those who are generous of heart. Later on it says those whose hearts are stirred. It's the word Nadiv. And the word Nadiv actually means those who are royal or noble in heart. Kings and queens, princesses and princes. This is those who are of noble lineage. How do they go from slaves to royalty? This is a huge change. And it happens in the act of generosity. That somehow the turning over, the handing over willingly of these tokens from Egypt, it shifts something inside of them, deep in their identity. No longer are they bound in slavery. They are free to give. And it says, 
that they are noble in heart. This is the same language, by the way, that Hannah picks up on in Hannah's song when she gives birth to Samuel, who becomes the prophet who anoints the kings of Israel. And it's the same language that Mary, the mother of Jesus, uses in the Magnificat when she re-sings Hannah's song. And the language is, you, O God, have lifted up the lowly, and you have brought down the proud. You have made your people to sit with the royals. And you've given them a seat of glory. That's the language. And this is how it happens with a first act of generosity. This call goes out. We've got to build this home. Does anybody have anything? And they come and they give. And they give. And they give. Those with a generous heart. And then this word, which is a terrible word to try and say in Hebrew because it's a double guttural. Chacham. It sounds like I'm coughing, right? Chacham. It's those with a skillful or a wise heart. It's the other language. This is the disposition that we are supposed to have when we give. If you have sat through sermons before about what it means to be generous, to set something of yours in an offering plate, or to write a check to the church for the ministries that we do here, and you have felt like that is a guilt trip, like that is uh, someone like shoving you into an act that you were not prepared for. That is not what the call is. I have a friend who uh, was a mentor of mine in ministry early on. He said, you give till it feels good. And that's what this is like. Those whose hearts are stirred and who are willing. What it mean to sit with this little token And if not yet willing, to pray about what it would mean to be willing. To be so stirred. To hand over. I've said those prayers before. I usually have to say them when I'm feeling anxious. Because when I'm feeling anxious, what I want to do is I want to take and I want to throw it into the fire. And out comes something that I can pin down and I can sort of use as a pacifier to assuage my anxiety. This is the word. Terumah. This is the offering that is called for. A free will offering. There are all kinds of offerings given in the Torah, in the Hebrew scriptures. Sin offering, grain offering. And then there's this one, Terumah offering. Let me show you where it shows up. Take from among you a free will offering to the Lord. Let whoever is generous of heart bring the Lord's terumah. The word itself means something that is lifted up. Literally something that's elevated. Now if you have for a very long time been enslaved to someone else's power, to someone else's anxiety over your life. The physical way that that feels is being bound and held down. So what would it mean to feel yourself lifted? I mean, there's a reason 
That like when you would show up in court, Pharaoh or the king would be elevated and you would be like 20 steps down below and you would bow. That's the state of things. That's the power dynamic. But what would it mean to participate in something such that your very offering pulled you up? Lifted you up. That is the invitation that Moses is giving the people. That is the invitation that I'm giving you today when we talk about what it means to give. It is, it is sort of like a paradox to say if you have felt heavy burdened, especially if you've felt heavy burdened about your material possessions or lack thereof, to open your hands and to give. But the like, The other option is to throw these tokens of Egypt at things that just aren't going to work. What you need to do is create space for God to move in. You say it this way. What you lift up lifts you up. This is the genius of offerings. Because let's be honest, it's not like God needs our money. It's not like God needed a house. God was doing just fine, living in the whole of creation. But we needed to give. We needed to feel like we could. Somehow in the giving, we are changed from slaves to royal. From those who can only receive... Right? They did not free themselves. To those who can participate in the rebuilding of the world, right? the reconstruction of the garden, that's what they're doing. They're taking what they have been given and they're recreating God's good world writ small. And they are invited into the building project. That's huge. You are invited into the building project. That's, that's a big deal. If you show up here Sunday to Sunday because what you're doing is receiving, that is part of it, right? To receive blessing, grounding, some sense of stability in a world that is chaotic, redirecting you to Christ. There's a lot that you receive when you show up here. But to truly be a part of here, it is going to mean that you participate, that you give back, That you help us to build the thing we feel like God has called us to build. There's this story that uh, I've shared with some of you before. It comes from Calcutta with Mother Teresa. Where uh, folks would go and they would serve there for like weeks during the summer. Go and do kind of short term trips. And at one point there was a couple of younger folks who were helping serve. And uh, so all the folks in Calcutta would come and they would stand in line, right? And all of the, the sacred mothers and those who would help would be dispersing food. And they would give out a certain portion of rice, for instance. And uh, a woman had come and she had come for both herself and for her neighbor because her neighbor couldn't make it because her neighbor was ill. And so she was going to have to get rice for both of them. And so one of the helpers who was new, who was just there on a short-term trip, was going to go give, there's one scoop for her, and she was going to go give a second scoop for the neighbor, right? Because she's got to split the thing. So Mother Teresa stops her and says, you do not give her two. You only get one. They each only can have one scoop. And she's like, well, she's, got, she's going to go give. She's got to split this. She said, these people are poor. They have nothing. 
But she has the opportunity right now to give and to share out of the abundance that she's just been given. And you may not take that opportunity for dignity away. Some of them gave gold. Some of them gave goat's hair. I'm not sure, but I don't think those are worth the same amount of money. This is not simply a call, right, to try to build up some new kind of golden calf. It's a way that we get to participate. In my family, oh, Judah, do you remember this? Do you mind if I share? I always ask you before I share, but hey, this is a good, sweet story. Uh, I always tell people that like one of the best transitions in parenting is when your kids can feed themselves because then you can leave to go away for an hour and a half. Uh, there's like an, another one, which is when they can feed you. And so there was this moment, I don't know, like I came home from work one day and Judah asked if you could make me a sandwich. And so you don't really, it was, when you were much younger, you didn't know how to make sandwiches. So you brought me a goldfish sandwich, right? It was just two pieces of bread and a bunch of goldfish in between. A, that sandwich is delicious. <laughs> but not just because it was goldfish and, and bread, right? Just a lot of carbs and... but. It was, it was full of something else, full of affection and love. But also, what does it mean for a child to be able to give back? That is what it means to give to God's work in the world. God is inviting us to participate, to co-create. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel like a prince. Makes me feel like I have power in this world to partner with God. And it doesn't matter how much. There are folks in this congregation that faithfully, faithfully give $5 every week without missing. And I promise you, Space is made for God to show up in that kind of gift. Being part of this community of faith means to receive the invitation to participate, to share. There is a danger that if we respond to the anxiety of being alive by thoughtlessly ripping and throwing into the fire and craving something that will not satisfy, it will lead to a dead end. But if we pray for generous hearts, for willing hearts, for stirred hearts, then we will feel ourselves lifted. Now, we uh, send out a video every every Wednesday um, with all of our announcements. And so if you got it this week, I'm going to show a little portion. Um, but on the streets this week, I was walking around, and I've been trying to pay close attention as I wander around uh, Pasadena and Los Angeles, because you just never know when God's going to show up. It's always surprising. And I came across uh, this guy who was playing trumpet. So we have a trumpet player in Old Town Pasadena. I don't know if you've met him, but he's great. 
and he plays usually posted up somewhere around Tiffany's is where he was this day. So I was walking around with my camera and I sort of stop and think I should pay attention to what's happening right in front of me. So I take some like real kind of sneaky pictures of him and then I think, no, I'm just going to talk to the guy. So I ask if I can video him for a second and he was fine with this. Bear in mind, I had no money on me, so I already felt very like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to ask this guy if he would give him something to me and I have nothing to give back to him, but I'm just going to risk the thing. So sure enough, yes, absolutely, he let me... Let me stand there and video him. I'm going to show you the video here in just a minute because I want you to hear. But afterward, I stopped and I went up and I talked to him for a little bit. I got his name, Buddy. Got his story. He's from Chicago. Had this really sort of intense, very uh, conventional set of years. And then it all fell apart and had this tragic season. He used to play trumpet until... Uh, the 60s, and then he let it go. And he had this kind of coming back to life in the last few years, and he picked the trumpet up a year ago. And part of playing it is part of, for him, just being present and giving something back. He had a few dollars in his case, uh, but there was something else that he was offering. And uh, talking to him elicited that generosity, that willingness that nobility. The language of being filled with a spirit of willingness is the language of being filled with the breath of the spirit of God, the Ruach. And to know that when we breathe in, we are receiving from God is to know that when we breathe out, we are giving back of God to the world. And something like the trumpet is a very good metaphor for what that looks like. To receive from God the gift that you pass along. To receive what you then pass along. Now that breathing rhythm might be a every two weeks you receive a paycheck and you're breathing in the ability to have a job and a vocation in the world where you contribute and you breathe out generosity to your family, to your friends, to your congregation. Back to the world, this rhythm. And Buddy's going to play for us, and I just want you to listen. After this, we're going to move into a time of offering. And the invitation is for those with willing hearts, those of nobility who feel so called or stirred to share, to share out of joy. And if not out of joy, then just to pray and to feel those around you that their generosity might lift you. Tonight we're going to gather again in the gym for Gratitude Night. Gratitude Night is a great name for what we do together, giving thanks for all that God has done, but also making promises together about what we intend to do partnering with God in the next year, with our budget, with our leaders And then we invite you all in. I felt like Buddy invited me in. Listen with me.
take that much. I'm gonna try one day to get Buddy to come play for us. That feels like that would be cool. Um, I'm gonna invite the hospitality team if they would come to the front here as we move into a time of worship together with our offering. I'm gonna ask if you would, just where you are, uh, take a moment and take stock. There was such a yearning for God to be present. That every morning, the people woke up and they brought an offering. Like every morning as they were preparing for the tabernacle. It'd be like if Terry and Bill, you showed up at the house every day with the offering plate. And every day we had something to put in it. And finally, Moses looks around and says, we've got way more than we need. And God says, tell them that's enough. There is an abundance even in the desert. There is an abundance in this room. We have more than we need. All God is actually looking for is generous hearts. Hearts that are stirred. I'm going to ask if you would pray with me. As you bow your head, may you lean into gratitude. To feel that God's spirit has already moved into your life. That you might feel in the wild places, carrying around tokens of Egypt, but God can redeem and wants to. And you might have thrown your gold into the fire, trying to make God smaller and more manageable. Trying to fix your anxious heart. But there is forgiveness. And then there is the offer to participate as part of God's family in rebuilding the world. In church, we are trying 
to make space for God's kingdom to find a home here with us. So let's pray that God's will be done in our lives and through our giving. God, it is a gift that you would make room for us. And even if we're just bringing you goldfish sandwiches, it's our heart that we want to give. We want to make space in our interior lives, in our collective life together, for you to take up residence. So as we give today, may you receive And may these gifts carry us to your heart. Thank you, God, for these friends and family who are in this together with us. In the giving, would you knit us together? And we start with gratitude and we end with thanksgiving as well. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus who did not hold anything back but gave everything that he had. Amen. Take the offering.